Welcome to Boat, everybody. Best of all time. My name is Walter. I'm Ryan. And I'm Grant. And today we're continuing our series of best of all time movies. Uh, we're on our third or fourth matchup. Um, and we're going to get, we have two. <laughs> two are, are numbers really tripping you up today, Wally? Numbers really tripping you up? Three or four, two movies, three, three movie numbers? Okay, so we have two good movies today. I think it's our fourth matchup. Yep. Uh, it's the uh, Battle of the Franchise Starters. We've got Iron Man versus Jurassic Park. Other words, robots versus dinosaurs. Let's see what you know kind of person you are. You prefer robots, you prefer dinosaurs. That's, that's kind of what it boils down to. Aren't they technically mech suits, not robots? They're robots. Robots are, are the uh, second one, correct? Or third one? The third one? Third one's got robots in it. Well, yeah, where somebody, I think it's the hammer dude, wants to be like, nope, it's going to be fully. And that's the second one. Yeah. Hammer dude's like, nope, I want them bots. Yes. Oh, no, it is the third one. There's robots in both, neither of which we're discussing (laughs) today, so we can maybe bypass that conversation. That's okay. Well, they um, look like robots on the outside. It's not. Yeah, so not we're talking about Wally. Um, <laughs> uh, no, we are talking Wall-E. about Iron Man. Does anybody have a uh, anybody have a starting point or a movie they'd like to start with? Let's go with Iron Man first. Okay, Grant, give us the rundown. All right. Um, no. uh, Iron Man was a 2008 film by director John Favreau. Um, the unofficial start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, technically unofficial unofficial <laughs> technically there was a hulk film before it that is uh it came after i'm pretty sure canonic there like was a hulk film year. after but um technically yeah. there was a hulk film before that was okay. quote unquote the start but this was really the jumping off point that um set the tone for what the rest of the cinematic universe would look like in terms of special effects direction uh the the comedic delivery and style and general pacing for all of the films um it was uh pretty much a a smash hit out the gate and brought robert downey jr back into the public good graces uh as the lead role of tony stark um budget was about 140 million and grossed 585 million worldwide so a reasonably successful film um it was uh one of the picks that i brought today i remember we saw it in theaters in was it sophomore year of high school following a dance 2008 Um, yeah it would have been our junior sophomore year you were like the and prime audience for this movie. definitely (laughs) and for me personally a wildly impactful film uh really pushed me down the path of uh computer programming and engineering and all that um and i was uh, excited to bring it to the party yeah this is where you really decided to make weapons of mass destruction yeah towards that it, it's it's weird because you you really had the reverse evolution of tony stark in this movie like you started out really cool you're just designing these cool little gadgets and then all of a sudden it just goes no i'm going to make or you you had a traumatic experience where uh 
you met somebody who really liked your stuff and thought it could be used really well in like the private sector and you said fuck that i want to sell uh weapons to the military and i became an international warlord yep there's uh my life in a nutshell the grand luberta story, the grand grand luberta luberta story. story. <laughs> my life is an in international warlord um but yeah, this this movie uh, swings wildly between uh, America, fuck yeah, to also like yeah, seriously dude. fuck America. <laughs> this this movie pivots pretty yep. hard on its point uh, true. those two points. Um, it's you know just a, a summer blockbuster. Uh, lots of special effects, lots of action. Um, not a film you want to think too hard through. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's really interesting because it is yeah it is like this combination or it is like this culmination of you know years and years of post 9-11 like middle eastern panic mm-hmm. attacked by a or attached to this movie that is coming from liberal hollywood who's constantly critical of the war in iraq and afghanistan and the middle east um and so yeah you do get it's like we have to make it america fuck yeah you got the what acdc you know heavy you know rock and roll soundtrack that am i wrong it, no it opens with three yeah, no, that's military opens, humvees yeah. with uh acdc in the background yeah. just cruising along you know that that real frat boy energy of talking about you know, did you sleep with all 12 maxim supermodels did you you know it it, it don't put this on MySpace. Like nothing. Oh, I love that. Yeah, very timely. Very timely. <laughs> it yeah, it's it was hella fun to look back at the old tech of that movie compared, you know, um, it, with the the context of the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and and knowing mm-hmm. how the technology of the Iron Man suit and even the the villains and just the world and the films progress going back to let's try and make this somewhat grounded in reality which none of the current films are um was no. <laughs> fun and, and helped uh, remind me what what really drew me to um this film and and tony stark is a hero of, as, as an inventor the the film does you know the first 30 to 45 minutes of it did have me questioning like am i maybe i misremembered it because it does lean real hard into that that real pro-america bro culture that um i was i was afraid was going to carry throughout the film um at uh sort of tony's pivot point i think is is when the film also swings from a glorification of the middle eastern conflict to a criticism of it um uh, and we see through tony's self-reflection of look at how i've benefited and um, from all the, the profiteering from the conflict and um, sort of developing a conscience and, and getting a behind the scenes look at, you know, what my obsession with progress and domination, what destruction that has caused for the regular people all around the globe. Um, and so that the, the conflict that you see with Tony in this movie is real timely of the country around that that same point um and frankly the the film i think does a really good job handling it because that was not something i picked up on as a teenager as a teenager it's lasers robots hot girls hell yeah and as an adult i get to look back and see it and okay there's there is some legitimate criticism happening here it it, it um made it a different movie to rewatch, but still one i enjoyed interesting yeah that's i 
I I have a hard time thinking about what my yeah high school brain was thinking about. I mean, I'm sure there was that like cool sort of explosiony thing. I like to feel like I I understood the uh, subtext. <laughs> yeah, the war isn't isn't very great. Um, and I mean, even just like the American giants kind of going up fighting against each other for, you know, whether or not technology can be something that's useful for our society or just has to be something that is used for war. I think that's that's a huge topic to cover in a uh, a Marvel superhero movie. I think it, it, it fits really well. And I know that was something we talked about in high school quite a bit, too, is just like, well, innovation is driven by war. Like we, we've seen a lot of that happen in, in the past. And, you know, a lot of a lot of really good has come out of, you know, horrific instances of manipulating technology and it's just a continuation of that and now we have marvel <laughs> and now we have people yeah, yeah to make, with make people checks. look back at those mistakes that have been made and um it's it's sort of sad that it takes a comic book company to make that happen uh and on the the topic of comic books the other thing this movie i think accomplishes really well is taking a character that wasn't well known at the time and uh, introducing the world to him. Iron Man wasn't, you know, a lead Avenger by any means, really. Um, His costume uh, is so stupid and dumb. <laughs> like, he looks like a... Yeah, it doesn't look really dumb at the beginning. From a... Well, that's kind of the version one here where it's all, like, super clunky. Yeah. yeah. From from a writing standpoint, I think uh, the interview at the, the start of the movie within the first, you know, seven, eight minutes after they do the whole Humvee scene and everything like that, we're in the flashback. I think the interview does an amazing job at setting up and introducing you to Tony Stark's, Tony Stark's character in just a couple of lines of dialogue. In the three questions that get asked and answered, we see his daddy issues where he addresses, you know, how his father helped fight the Nazis. We see his vanity and his glibness, and we get to see how he sees himself as, you know, a, a modern da Vinci um, it sets up right from the get-go his obsession with his legacy uh, and matching that of his father. And I think it's it's a really impressive way to introduce a character without having to do a whole huge like historical background. You know, it's not like we needed the five-minute scene in all the Batman movies where we see how he becomes Batman. You That's know, all point. we needed was a one-minute interview with a reporter. We see how he thinks of himself, how he thinks of the world, how he treats the people in his life, um, and we get to move on right from there. We get to basically keep the film moving and don't have to slow down even for a minute. I mean, they did more than that, showing like that little video that like, you know, he was kind of destined for this. He, you know, he's filling in his dad's shoes. Like we saw that like through. Yeah, the montage. The montage at the beginning. But I think, yeah, it's important to like hear that from the character too, like, okay, maybe this is how the audience or like the world at large is supposed to see this character. But, you know, we get to see, you know, who he is like through himself. And I think that that's maybe something, yeah, that's a bit of a miss in other superhero movies. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Yeah, I, Batman's a great comparison because they're very similar characters. But the only thing that seems to be like hit in the face with Batman is, the fucking pearl necklace getting ripped off and then gunshots in an alleyway. It's like... Which I hear, yeah, that makes it a sh shitty pearl necklace that it breaks that easily. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it was like gold, gold line, whatever it is, but yeah, I'm not here to discuss jewelry. <laughs> I'm here to discuss Iron Man. 
Those are kind of funny. Um, they, <laughs> I, I just have like, I mean, God, the the outdated tech is really funny. Just like, or, and even just the outdated like filmmaking things, like within the first five minutes of the movie when tony sees the missile and it zooms in comedically yeah oh that's such so a comedic on his <laughs> name stark industries what yeah that felt like i mean that was like a thing they did in like the early 2000s like there was a lot of that in the night's tale and it was kind of weird to see it that late into the 2000s used for like to be serious like when tarantino will do that and you know he'll use it for comedy but he's just a guy who loves filmmaking techniques, so he kind of gets away with it. Um, and that zoom, like it, I couldn't tell because, like, I mean, they they always use the zoom in like those old westerns where it's like zooming in on the eyes and it's super intense. Yeah. And yeah, outside of most comedy stuff where that zoom is just used to comedic effect, it it's not something that's used very much anymore. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the segue. Oh my God, the Segway! Jeff Bridges <laughs> riding in on yeah, a Segway from who knows where <laughs> in an enclosed compound, where we we learn later in the movie that a majority of that is a majority of that office area is like stairways and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> is he it going off road on the stairway? Is he sitting in an <laughs> elevator on a Segway? On, I, on the topic of segways, I did okay. make a note of the sheer amount of product placement that was in this movie. Yes. And any time that there was a zoom in on another company logo, um, we had LG, Verizon, Burger King, Segway, and Audi right. all having yeah, their Burger logos or equipment. Yeah, I want to go to Burger King. Get me an all-American burger. Audi is like right the now. official official car of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, that's that's like the one consistent throughout all of these movies is Tony Stark is driving the newest Audi. That, and, uh, yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember because I read something where like Audi sales like spiked an absurd amount after this movie came out. Like it was, I, I don't have the numbers on it, but I just, I remember that being, reading that and being like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I Grant, I think you can attest to how influential this movie was, and I, I bet if you had the money at the time, you probably would have been like, "Oh shit, I gotta get an Audi." Oh yeah, the yeah. the one with the the see through hood, so you can see the engine and everything like that. Oh man, um, the the cast was pretty impressive. Uh, you talked about Jeff Bridges. Mm -hmm. We had Robert Downey Jr. really coming into his own. Um, yeah, Jeff Bridges is great in this movie. You just know he's going to be the bad guy as soon as you see that beautiful bald head. You're like, that's the fucking bad. Guy. I will say <laughs> he no... did he did so... all right. He had one of the worst line reads that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I He's... think he was good until like he had to be evil. Like I do I like the first like two thirds of this movie and I think the last third is serviceable. Um yeah, it's just like, well, he's obviously the bad guy. He's making a bad guy suit in like a day. We gotta rush through this stuff and now the suit's working and everything. We have to have our big dumb fight. Yeah, well, I mean, it, he had it, a crack team of scientists that yes, apparently yes. could not <laughs> be. I am not Tony Stark. Couldn't be bothered. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. There, that's like the the MacGuffin of it. It's just like, nope, no matter he what, is there's the not I, I, anybody I, I, as smart as Tony Stark. Yeah, I, I don't know. He he had such a like jovialness and like a a. I I really liked yeah, big him. Papa I, I want to know what 
what reading do you have the reading tony built this in a cave with a box of scraps i love that part <laughs> he, he, the <laughs> was built this in a cave with a bunch of scraps. Yeah, but he was so disjointed. The timing between the two lines was off. It was. It yeah. felt like he forgot the line halfway through. It had to pause to remember it, then remember where he was and try and pick back up. It was Might such an line awkward read. line read. He's so exacerbated, or he's just he's freaking yeah, out yeah. because of how inept these people are. But it's hilarious because he's also an idiot. He's not smart. <laughs> you know. He's a big dumb animal. Who steals other people's technology and Just uses wants a it. bigger, so, dumber suit? Yeah, I mean him. <laughs> him with that little buzzer thing that would just paralyze you. I that's that why it was scene, menacing when he was using that. I was like, oh, he's thing, actually that pretty scene effective. With him and Tony sitting there, like he felt like he was saying these things, like he was the dude uh, in the Big Lebowski. <laughs> Look at this glow, man! It, it's so like he just seemed so jovial, and that's what I'm like. That makes it even creepier. This yes, dude's yes. fucking whack. Well, and you know that scene that you're mentioning in particular, what really sells it, and it was never anything I noticed before. I wouldn't have noticed it if it wasn't for this podcast. But they put that scene on a Dutch angle, and it's fucking <laughs> sweet. That's right. It's the only That's Dutch so angle true. in the whole yeah. movie is this little menacing speech he's given Tony so Stark. Everything's twisted yeah. in that point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah something's wrong it's world's turning <laughs> upside down but it's, that's it so is, funny yeah it's the only dutch angle in the whole film but oh. it was uh I, I good eye Grant. good eye good, good eye good eye um no i yeah I, I i can see the faults there's there's definitely some issues with him but as a villain i think he does he does surprisingly i i found him very enjoyable I yeah he's a good one-off villain for these movies yeah maybe. i'm glad he died yeah I always thought, and maybe head. this is me just being stupid. I always thought, and I totally forgot they blew up the arc reactor. I always thought he just died from free falling because he was frozen. That's what I thought too. I thought that was the whole thing that, yeah, they bring back, like, oh, did you take care of the icing? And yeah, that's what I thought too. The arc yeah. reactor is a dumb kill. I did make special note. Just hit the big red button and the bad guy dies, yeah. but the good guy lives. Very Mortal Kombat. Yeah. It's a real weak, weak ending. And the movie, you know, if we're in the, the criticism portion, the movie struggled with its message just a little bit. Uh, I appreciated the criticism um, and, and Tony's attempts to uh, um, make up for his past sins and, and rectify with his mistakes. Um, and he talks a lot about being a part of a system that had no accountability and being comfortable with it and then proceeds to go out and take unilateral action with no accountability from the U.S. government. He straight up like mercs eight dudes, moves into an environment that the U.S. government says they can't go into because they have human shields. And I think we're intended to side with him because he's the hero. Mm. But it, it felt tone deaf to me coming right off a speech he gives to Pepper and the, the, um, yep. the uh, press about being a part of a system with no accountability and then he just goes and takes unilateral action yeah i if we want to get into criticism i yeah i i think this movie has a lot of i it's hard to go back after you know what uh 12 or 13 years of these movies just mm -hmm. back to back to back to back to back um and not 
just kind of talk about the same stuff. I feel like we we've seen this trope like it did start and it set the tone for the rest of all of the Marvel things. Um, everybody was either a Tony Stark or was a I want to say Pepper Potts or like there. It's like there's there's these distinct archetypes and just about every lead in every Marvel movie is a Tony Stark who gets to be quippy, gets to be funny, gets to have. But they can't be as quippy as Robert Downey. That was a few le- levels less. I I don't know about that. I mean, freaking Thor just like yucks it up all the time. It took him to the third movie to be a yuck master, though. He was kind of just a big dumb guy in those first two movies. But I think there's a difference between a quippy individual and a yuck master. I I, yeah. I agree that Thor is more <laughs> okay. of a yuck master. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I. And yeah, Captain America's like the straight man, you know, he's the man out of time, so. Yeah, so it's it's already going to be a little, uh, well, Captain, I guess that's that's kind of what I eventually meant, is that once you get Iron Man and Captain America, every single character falls into one of those two things. It's the, the earnest good guy or the quippy, sarcastic dude who's just way more smart or powerful than everybody else and, and makes people people feel dumb i guess it's (laughs) and that's why they fight that's why there's civil war but yeah i i i really enjoyed this movie i didn't realize there was a lot of uh a lot of things that just don't fly nowadays i mean just the uh i the interaction with the uh reporter at the beginning it's just like oh god that's just yeah i couldn't get away with that yeah. yeah. Now, but that I mean, that's what who that character you know is at the time. Like it, I don't know. Exactly. Wouldn't feel genuine to do it any other way. Yeah, and I I felt really uncomfortable with it too. That that was you know as I was talking about the first thirty minutes of the film, I was nervous that I was misremembering how good it was. Um, but I think you're uh, intended to be grossed out by it because Tony himself is appalled at his behavior and action later in the film you know we're watching his arc his growth and uh the way he treats the people around him is an important aspect of that you you see that with his relationship with pepper and his relationship with the media yeah but um i i'm so disappointed i have a thing in my notes that just says irony of the song and i don't know what the fuck that means you're talking about the the song song that he's not actually made of iron (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's that. <laughs> um, no, there was something. There was this. I, it was when he was building the robot, and he was playing a song, and I'm like, "That's that's a very, a very funny thing." Well, I I think it's just like the good old boy American, American guy, you know, working class, and this guy's just in a very rich, you know, area. <laughs> yeah. The mix also, mix. I'm really kind of pissed. There's a really big missed opportunity in these films. Mm-hmm. How much of a dick Tony Stark is to his robots, like his robot assistants. Yeah, you I should be really kicking them around some more. <laughs> yeah, well, I was really hoping that, like, later in the series, once Vision becomes a person, um, he would <laughs> he would come back and be like, "Hey, maybe don't talk to them, you fucking asshole, or don't talk to them like that." Because that's what they missed their opportunity was, to do that. What? In Ultron. Ultron. No. Not not because of those two robots. Ultron didn't go, hey, don't kick your fucking oh, robot. Yeah, you should be nicer to your robots. That would have been Jarvis okay. Jarvis has like 
is like the the AI for that house. He sees all of this stuff. He probably as an AI interacts with these somewhat sentient robots on some level. Um I I That's just true. thought it would, be, it would be funny to see that. Yeah, they um, should have brought the claw robot back. He was the real MVP of the movie. On the, yeah. the topic of music, Quinn, I do want to point out this movie does, uh, I, there were two things that I think uh, did real well. One of them, I'm always a sucker for it. They do it in like The Greatest Showman, whenever it shows up, um, when they take diegetic portions of the universe and include it in the music. So like when he's building the Mark One suit and the strikes from the hammer are serving oh, yeah. as the mm -hmm. drum beats mm -hmm. to the background that's orchestral better. score. Um, I think that's really cool. This movie also did an excellent job with silence, cutting the music out entirely. Um, when he was in the middle of the free fall after getting iced over for the first time and just hearing the sound of the wind flying by him, his heavy breathing, you could feel the panic. Um, him in the, the desert in the Iron Man suit for the first time, fighting against the tank. They use that same silence, not as a moment of stress and tension, but comedic relief. Um, when he shoots the tiny missile into the tank, um the sound design for the movie in general for both movies it's a topic i'll bring up on jurassic park because i think it's jurassic park sound design is um just divine um but the the sound effects uh and uh general audio work done in the movie the foley work for the movie was fantastic i think the balancing was solid i've seen it in theaters i've seen it at home i've seen it in headphones um in every situation the audio balance has been pretty good which has been an issue with uh, movies we've brought up um, in the past on the podcast. Yes. Um, so definitely something I wanted to call out. Guys, Tom Morello was in this movie. I didn't realize it until I, we had this brief break and I was scrolling IMDb. Uh, I saw the eyes roll. Uh, he's Rage Against the Machine. He plays a guard in this movie. So wow. bonus points. That's so cool. Man. Did you know Stan Lee? All was right, in this fine. Movie yeah, too? yeah I right heard that this guy. There's this like new new actor named Stan Lee. I heard he was in, up in this movie as well. That's pretty cool. I mean, I felt so bad for the kid with his ice cream. I, I that kid I guess grew up oh, to be yeah. a uh, serial killer. Um same kid in Iron Man Three. Yeah, that's the kid from Iron Man Three. Three. <laughs> No, but I guess um, here's here is uh, something I did write down. Maybe uh, you guys can weigh in on it. Who is your favorite roadie? That's a hmm. This guy was kind of an asshole in this movie. I'm not gonna lie. Really? Yeah, I liked him enough. Um, I'm just thinking Don Cheadle is kind of he grows into that role. He's kind of dead in that like second one. He's just playing like tough military guy from what i remember it's it's been a long ass time since i've seen iron man 2 but he has more fun in um all those like subsequent movies yeah i yeah. i actually preferred terrence howard i thought it was a shame that they couldn't reach the uh contracting decision uh to bring him back he i mean it was one of those he knew what he was worth and uh marvel wasn't willing to pay it so they recast yeah and i Grant, I kind of agree, like, and maybe this is just, like, the grass is always greener. It's, like, I would really, based on how different, or I guess how the same these movies are to this movie, or to the following movies are to this movie, I, I think it'd be really interesting to see uh see what how Terrence Howard would have changed Rhodey, or, you know, even just him in 
in the exact role that um Don Cheadle is in, like I I I I would have find that found that a lot a lot more interesting. Maybe that's just me. Um it's definitely that what if, you know, would have been pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really funny if in this new Marvel like what if series that they have coming oh, out. They have they just, that would be kind of cool. They, I, how cool would that be if they actually like got so meta that Terrence Howard they just paid him a shit ton of money and brought him in for an episode of him like being Rhodey again and seeing how that would be I don't know yeah you could have Edward Norton as uh, Bruce Banner again then too that would be yeah <laughs> that'd be interesting I yeah I I don't know do you guys have any um any more uh. Well, I guess I can. I've got a couple more critiques. Um, hmm. or at least I just, this... yeah. Want want to say, say this movie did feel like a breath of fresh air. Like just going back to it, you know, it did feel like revisiting an old friend. In comparison, at least to me, with these other um, more recent Marvel movies, like I like the whole like origin story in the first thirty minutes of like building the Iron Man suit and everything and. You know, we've kind of lost that with more recent superhero movies. Not saying that we necessarily need those anymore, but the fact that, you know, we had a decent origin story, everything felt grounded. It um in comparison to, you know, just the CGI slugfest we get with superhero movies now, this feels a lot more grounded in comparison. I yeah, I I don't know. Have you seen Black Widow yet? No, I heard mixed things about it. Ooh. I really liked it, and maybe this is just me being, like, obsessed with Florence Pugh. I think she's just an absolutely phenomenal actress, and she she does do... Between her and uh, David Harbour, I think they bring... They, they breathe a lot of new, fresh, okay. nice, comedic air. Like, it's a different type of comedy. Um, well, I get kind of... Uh, David Harbour's just a big fucking drunk and just <laughs> slammering all over the place, which is amusing, but... I don't know. I my two big things where I felt incredibly emasculated as a is a like I said a maintenance tech, seeing how how long Tony Stark's screwdrivers were. I mean, he busts some of those out and it's like a foot and a half a screw of a driver in there. It's like I I, I can't handle that. That's too rich for my blood. Mm-hmm. And then um yeah the, they waterboard a a person with a an active <laughs> electromagnet in his chest yeah um, that was pretty ridiculous yeah uh th- you know that that if you could have done anything else or if you could have just thought logically about something at all uh don't don't do that <laughs> okay yeah a car battery and and waterboarding somebody do not mix but grant this is your pick what are your opinions on this as a uh a good starting point for a franchise or compared to other movies maybe in this franchise that you like better like like wally said it it was delightful to go back and watch and not have to deal with the constant escalation and and one-uppedness we've seen from recent superhero movies it did feel grounded it it felt like something somebody could actually do you know like when it comes down to it tony's superpower was (laughs) money and being a good engineer and like that was cool that was realistic despite the fact that it completely disregards inertia and like you know the his internal organs slamming against his body as he flies around everywhere. <laughs> yes there's so much slapstick in this there it like 
um the the, i appreciated the groundedness i think this is one of the stronger marvel marvel films out there and i don't think the um the uh it it would have created quite the dynasty it had if it wasn't for the charm and success of this first film yeah there's nothing more grounded grounded than a man who on like scrap (laughs) missile parts designs not only a small like i don't know insane power source but also makes a working mechanical suit with like coding features uh i relative to a literal god of thunder and a magician who travels in time this is this this movie was pretty damn grounded and he an main he has a two-minute suit-up scene, which, by the way, that that first suit-up and flight scene is fucking fantastic. Yep. I didn't even yep. touch on that, but the the amount of work it takes for him to just get into the suit in the first place um, in these movies, I actually really appreciated. It was a a point of vulnerability that they you know pushed off when they brought in the endo sim armor and all that sort of bullshit. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Relative to other superhero movies, Gwen, I I think it's pretty damn grounded. Well, I I would disagree. I <laughs> I think Batman, Batman does it slightly better. At least the Dark Knight series. Yeah, it's that's literally a good point. just this dude who's in the R and D like research and development core of mm-hmm. a a multi million dollar or even billion dollar company. Basically saying, hey, guess what? Here's all my fun toys. Take them. It's not a dude in a fucking that is a good point it's like well if it was too grounded you know i guess maybe it wouldn't have been as fun you couldn't have this like big fun franchise where you know dc tried to go the (laughs) tried to go the more grounded gritty you know route and look how well that worked out for them you couldn't have him fire like lighting rockets as if they have wicks tied to their backs um, using like a draw stick on his arm, like shooting off a rocket. Um, I part of me questions like, what are those computer programs for if not to control weapon systems? Um, it just looked like he kind of had like a a, a motor attached to the back of <laughs> it. And this is me just nitpicking. It was just funny that that they needed this super advanced program. For uh, for a suit that's that's very much like hands on. Yeah, well, sometimes you just gotta reflash that Arduino EEPROM so that way you can, uh, you know, run all your. Th- okay, someone, there's one other person in the world yeah, who's gonna laughing, find that joke hysterical. Laughing their ass off, and we hope they subscribe to our podcast. We hope so. Yeah. And for if all they you don't, Arduino you. if they don't, our, our very uh, very small but loyal fan base, please find this person um and and do with them what you will i <laughs> show them the podcast or <laughs> sacrificially murder them so grant is the is the uh the only one because there as we all know there can be only one i firmly or, believe the mark one suit was running on arduinos and not raspberry pies because raspberry pie is bullshit I think it I also mean, has the midichlorian. Only so tasty. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's move on. Be. I don't want to waste all of our time talking no. about this one because we need to discuss the better film. Oof. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> wow. All right. Oh, I'm going to be peeking the mic so much now. Yes, Excellent. motherfuckers. Will, we get to talk about Jurassic Park. I am so fucking excited. And yes, I did just turn Walter down. 
I'm not <laughs> sure if you guys will hear that or not because this is over Zoom, but in my head, I actively turned it down. So, Wally, go ahead. Okay, so this was, I think, my third favorite movie on my list. That's bullshit. That was a mistake. This is number one. This is 1993's smash hit Jurassic Park, directed by Steven Spielberg. You know, it's a cultural touchstone. I feel everyone's at least, you know, to a certain age knows this movie or has at least seen clips of this movie. You know, movies today would not be the same uh, without this movie. Um, so brief, like, plot synopsis is, um, I feel like just describing this movie to anybody, it would just sound like the just worst, like, B movie. And, you know, from a... From a certain standpoint, it is a B movie, but it's a B movie done with an A movie budget. You know, a great director, great actors, really elevating, you know, the source material of <clears throat> just, you know, science gone wrong. In the early 80s, we were making breakthroughs in genetic engineering, and that really inspired author Michael Crichton, who had been known to make science goes wrong books before with the Andromeda strain, the original Westworld. And um, he had this idea of cooking around for dinosaurs for a long time, and he was buddies with Steven Spielberg. And, you know, Steven asked, like, oh, you know, he was helping him work on ER, making that like a TV show and everything. He's like, oh, you know, are you working on anything else? And he's like, yeah, I got this thing with dinosaurs and genetics, you know, trying to figure that out. So he's like, I, I got to do that. You know, I'm a big dinosaur nut. So, like, when... Even before the book was, like, completely published, you know, word was getting around about this movie, and, like, every single movie company wanted to make this movie, but Michael Crichton was, like, Steven Spielberg, he's the man, you know, he's the one to make this movie. But, um, yeah, the, so the plot, we see paleontologists and a paleobotanist go on a weekend excursion to a billionaire's unorthodox theme park. And it's the first of its kind. They, they turn out to be dinosaurs, so... You know, it's, ooh, uh, this is cool at first. And then I really like how the movie kind of messes with your expectations of a lot of themes of, like, dinosaurs just not showing up in the park because, you know, they're animals, too. They're not always going to be, you know, at the forefront to be seen by people. And then, you know, we see what happens when technology or someone's greed eventually, you know, gets the better of them and everything goes, you know, shit side up. And that's how we get Jurassic Park. Excellent summary. Absolutely masterful, Walter. Yes, this is this is a really good movie. And I like the um the lack of like stats of how good this movie did. It it <laughs> I like or any like you know any think, yeah, actual in depth the... research besides the, the <laughs> nice story. Um Hey, I didn't even give the story of mine, so props to you, Wally, for giving context to our audience. Good job. It made a shit ton of money. Like it was I mean it obviously broke box office records it's just it's crazy to think look at any dinosaur movie just a couple of years before this one it doesn't look half as fucking good like they had to evolve technology just to make this movie look as good as it is like all right here's a challenge for you wally name one dinosaur movie that was made before jurassic park uh one million years bc uh the original king kong Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, the original Godzilla, that counts. All right. Uh, all last right. Dinosaur. I'll, Land I'll Before eat. Time. Yes, <laughs> I thank you. I will blast pro yeah. and straight up Fantasia. eat it. I should have known better than to ask the dino resident dinosaur expert Fantasia. about. Fantasia. 
Yeah, it's got that beautiful two-minute segment with the T-Rex. Well, I feel put in my place. Well done. (laughs) But yeah, I'm really interested in hearing your guys' opinion because this this is a movie I could talk about for hours, so I want to give, you know... I had problems with this movie from the (laughs) get-go. Like, absolutely... Not enough Chef Goldblum. Well, A, these we know these raptors, obviously they scaled them up for this uh, movie. They're actually yeah. really tiny. But that is the, the saddest, smallest fucking enclosure you could ever possibly make. That's I true. get it. It You're looks like kind of cool. <laughs> but it's it's barely the width of that connector thing, that they're, or the, the cage that they're putting on. It's barely that width. Yeah, and, uh, it's like, I don't know, maybe five times the size of that. Well, it's it's like width-wise for actual cage space, it's mm-hmm. one of those wide, and maybe three or four of them deep. See, and John Hammond was going with the old mentality of like these things don't need space. They're like, let's just do what they did in the zoos in the nineteen thirties and forties. Just put them in a fucking cage, and, and that'll be al- fine. Also, how the fuck does a magnetic lock? So this is like the incongruity. I really wish that there was more discussion or more through ways with this magnetic lock system that they've implemented because it fucking fails like crazy in the first scene. And that's what, that's why that man gets killed by a Raptor. And then all of a sudden at the end, they were great. It never made sense to me how he just like pulled him up by his like foot and he perfectly like goes up vertically. I'm like, this thing isn't that big. Exactly. And it doesn't have, it, it doesn't, well, I, yeah. And that cage is so small. I you felt bad for the raptors. They so you're I saying did. they wouldn't they, have been as pissed. Well, and you know, I cage. I don't want to bring up the Jurassic World thing, but like those cages were like actually cool. Phenomenal, they were big. dude. Phenomenal. Yeah, they were they were dynamic. This this looked like something straight out of like a an zoo? Indiana Jones set, or like it looked like a no, it looked like the um shoot. Uh, Ten Commandments. It looked like something constructed for the Ten Commandments movie, and then spray painted gray and with a little bit of red lighting. It's, I felt it, that kind of helped with I don't know help. It's with funny the charm that, of the movie that like well, I don't know. It feels like a movie set. It feels like a theme park. It kind of goes with the there on the, the concept of movie set. You know, if we're starting with the nitpicks on this film. <laughs> The opening helicopter scene. What the fuck, scene, guys? Come on, this the is the opening helicopter scene looks like it came out of the 1930s. It's the worst painted soundstage with just a constantly rolling green screen of ocean behind it and oh. somebody holding a fan over a light. It is. I think that I, was filmed in Hawaii, like actually. Yeah, but the thing I don't understand is the whole rest of the film is a visual delight, but the first helicopter scene you see and the first dinosaur you see both look like dog shit and i no, don't understand that it brachiosaurus what? doesn't look like dog the, shit. the, the, the very t- first dinosaur is by far the worst animated of the bunch and i know there's a, a i feel it's the textures story. that don't hold up with it like i think the animation itself is pretty solid and i think they're just limited in how many like polygons they could have so you couldn't see as much like muscle you, tone you couldn't like, make that a everything like the, the, the other cg the... was excellent because there you got other cg brachiosaurs later in the movie when when uh professor grant is with the kids in the trees that looked just excellent the head, then. 
it, it was just that opening the first dinosaur, I was baffled because I was ready to be really impressed because I remembered the special. You gotta wait for that T Rex. You just gotta wait but, for that T Rex. That fucking it, okay. We'll no, get no, into no. That. <laughs> I, I think that's a super nitpick. <laughs> Me, the king of nitpicks, because um, I think that the puppetry, the puppetry is what makes the dinosaurs feel real. Um, oh, the the puppetry is divine. The puppetry is fucking. He's talking about the CG brachiosaurus. I know, I know, but they, the brachiosauruses when they're up in the tree, um, don't don't actually look that good. It's just the one in the forefront that you get the full shot of that is the puppet. I think that that hides these these issues. But yeah, and when it sneezes, that's the CG, and that's yeah. Doesn't yeah. look as good as the rest of that scene. Yeah, it 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 absolutely doesn't. And I mean, yeah, there is some age to this movie. Um, I yeah. I will say the Brachiosaurus looks better in the wide shots where you see its whole body when they're like looking up. Like I mean, you know, most people are gonna be like, well, yeah, that doesn't the texture doesn't look quite right or it doesn't you know look quite as good in comparison. But when it's that wide shot of it standing up on its hind legs, I think you know that's the image that people you know first remember from this movie of a I, dinosaur and i think that holds up still pretty well i think it's tough because it's it 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 does feel like isolated like i mean even if it's just the fa- the fact that there's a camera looking at them and then there's like a separate camera looking at the dinosaur for most of it i know they do walk up a little bit and you do get both of them in the same shot but it it does feel isolating to the point where like if if this really was interesting tech, wouldn't you immediately want the like like wouldn't you want to hit hit them camera wise from the back of the jeeps like over the jeeps top so then you you get like mm. a really up close reaction by uh not Hammond what's his what's his name uh um, Professor Grant. Alan Grant Grant Sam Neil uh mm-hmm. Grant you get that reaction shot but then it's it's them in the same space as this dinosaur but. I think well, scales something too. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to figure out the scale of a dinosaur, um, and it being you know their first time of making yeah. like or large organic you know CG creatures. They had to you know write the book on like how do you react when you're like seeing nothing in front of you. Like I just watched. They have like a special about this movie on Netflix that just came out where they have a lot of scenes. Like I think it's really impactful. Of like you don't see the dinosaur first. You see the actor you know, reacting to the dinosaur, taking his glasses off to get a better look, which really makes no sense. But cinematically, that shows, holy shit, he, you know, obviously sees something he can't fucking believe. That's the Steven Spielberg, you know, of it all, of heightening up when you see the CG moments and, you know, making, you know, good use of your actors, the practical effects. Like, yeah, it just all... I, I would, yeah, like, nowadays you would maybe film it more dynamically, but they're, like, I I was surprised by, I don't think there was more than maybe five minutes of CG in this whole movie. It was probably even less than that. I was truly shocked, like, the T-Rex attack, that was nearly all that practical, like, animatronic T-Rex. I, think- I was truly shocked by, like, the amount of, like, practical effects in this movie. I think there's only 19 minutes in this whole film of dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And most of that is the animatronic. Yeah, is and yeah, most of it is I would say the T-Rex or at least maybe that's just the most I guess I think it's the raptors. raptors? Yeah, it's, that's yeah. true. 
But I, I think that's what makes it hold up well, is, is the fact that it is all practical effects, the mm-hmm. puppetry, the animatronics they built. It, it makes it uh, timeless. You know, those moments, those moments where they lean on the CG, um, I, I feel date the film a little bit. But any moment that's practical effect, it, it held up masterfully. Yeah. I agree the only scene where the CG doesn't date it, which like I feel is the shot that every CG movie is like trying to replicate is when the T-Rex finally breaks through the fence and stomps on the ground. That shot alone still looks fucking fantastic. Like twenty eight years later. It's fucking well, incredible. And and I think that, that utilizes something that we we up until I would say recently with like Kong versus Godzilla, we see in a majority of these CGI movies is, and uh, we did talk about it with the the host a little bit too, is it is utilizing the fact that they don't need to render it as much because it's in darkness. They can hide things in the shadows mm-hmm. until they can focus on the parts that will be lit to make them as detailed as possible. So yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think that is, that is absolutely true that that is, I mean that is a terrifying scene, and like I was, mm-hmm. I was totally with it. But um, it's funny. I, <laughs> I've seen this is the movie I've definitely seen the most times. Like I, I don't know. I've seen it maybe nearly fifty times. I'll probably watch it fifty more, <laughs> you know, times. But like, yeah, just the T Rex scene. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't get, <laughs> get afraid of it anymore. I'm like, oh, it's the best part of the movie. I just gotta shut up and watch the watch the TV now. Sorry, the the best part of the movie, the thing that really impressed me about the film that I didn't remember at all was how strong the script was. The mm-hmm. the the one-liners, how charming all the characters were, the interactions between the two kids as siblings and with the the Dr. Grant who didn't want kids, the the Yeah, he has an arc, you know. Yeah, well, the just the script was so strong. The dialogue was sharp. Mm-hmm. It, the the character interactions were great and i just remembered this movie for the dinosaurs and going in i was i there were plenty of moments that i was laughing out loud because of how great i remember particularly i noted the the kids call out when they were climbing out of the trees um and he's like oh i hate i hate trees and the sister's like oh trees are fine well you weren't in the last one and yeah just there were so many and they don't hang on any of the one-liners they don't you know like what they would do in Iron Man, where it's a pan up, hard focus on the face when he delivers a snappy line. In this movie, they just let it. They just let it happen. They just—it's good natural dialogue that's really well. <laughs> the only time they linger on the shot and it's for effect is when you know Jeff Goldblum. The camera slowly pans up. Jeff Goldblum's looking at that big old pile of shit. He just stands there for a few seconds. It's wonderful. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Grant. I feel, yeah, the solid script, all these actors are wonderful. Like, when I heard, you know, they were asked to be in this movie, like, oh, do you want to be in a Steven Spielberg movie about dinosaurs? Like, everyone said yes. You know, I think he picked the perfect actors. And I think it's just, like, what's great about it is, like, like, yeah, I'm a big fan of Godzilla and those kind of stuff, and you still get those kind of fans that are that complain about the human element of their monster movies. And it's like, you just need solid character actors. You need a solid script. And then you end up not needing the mon- 
the monsters as much you know they're actually not in it as much as you know as you remember but it's like it's just used so sparingly that it's more effective that way well i really like that wayne knight had the uh the dual role of uh, his character (laughs) as well as the hissing for the dinosaurs and the velociraptors because he makes a noise in that first scene where he meets the FBI or the other That's company true. guy. I always thought that was fucking weird. And it, I thought it was the hiss of the can opening, like it was compressed or it was it was sealed in some way, and yeah. and it it took me a very long time to realize that no, he made that noise and it sounded just it, like a velociraptor. It's the can and his laugh, just that unique synergy that makes a velociraptor sound. The sound effects for the dinosaurs, though, were really impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. And I actually, I watched some, I went and searched out this information specifically because I, I, this, the audio effects in this movie were also really impressive, like in Iron Man. The raptor noises were actually a combination of dolphin calls and walruses. And the t- and a little bit of Wayne Knight in there. Wal- walruses are like the, uh, the uh, beatboxers of the, the <laughs> animal world. They can they can imitate humans, I believe. Like they they can't form words and stuff, but they, yeah, it's weird. Like their tone of Walruses? voice. What? That's Walruses. crazy, man. I'm learning new That's facts. Awesome. Yes, when uh when you get a chance, look up walruses making weird noises, and like they they can go, they like cycle through all these different types of noises. It's wild, man. They're they're adorable wacky That's creatures awesome. with mustaches i don't know i'm kind of going back to like things that were horrible um <laughs> okay <laughs> keep on that train so many fucking great things to talk about this movie but okay <laughs> the opening scene denim on denim like i is there anything Ooh, more that like, was the 90s yeah that was kind of funny they're like you want to be a paleontologist in the 90s you got to wear that denim you gotta, yes. blue jeans you're in yeah you're in blue I, that jeans, was hilarious blue denim shirt you're in or the uh the game hunter at the park with his short cargo shorts and long ass socks pulled all the way to his knees in in an environment that i mean i guess they they tailor made it but apparently they just threw in a bunch of a bunch of uh plants and didn't even think about you know (laughs) there's yeah one line of that yeah if we if if they really wanted to depict how how ignorant um the the designers of this park were i the the um triceratops being sick was one of them that guy like coming out of the woods with like tons of like poison ivy blisters all over his exposed legs would have been a phenomenal like that would have been that as well like god like, oh did, did one of the dinosaurs poison you no nah, i just stepped in a shit ton of poison ivy. no apparently <laughs> poison ivy looks really pretty <laughs> oh shit i missed my chance to call out um because we were talking about the special effects before uh, from the the puppetry and the the CG and everything, Industrial Lights and Magic did the special effects for both this film and Iron Man. So same company, actually, I think there may have been one or two members from the same team actually that were part of both films. Um, and it, I mean, it shows the special effects in both films were remarkable. That you talked about the the puppetry, just how lifelike they it made the dinosaurs, and the fact that it was all live action puppetry i mean it was people in suits it was people using a mm-hmm. one to five telemetry system to control different parts of the t-rex so the puppetry team would have to yeah, rehearse because like, like one guy's running the tail one guy's running the head and it was all done 
live with the actors there so that way the puppeteers could react to the actors and the actors could react to the uh, the dinosaurs it was um, acting is reacting well yeah, yeah. i think it, wasn't there like four people in the triceratops like belly yeah like crouched breathe, yep. mm-hmm. like doing the brief motions and i mean that was like I would say yeah, that was one of the best well. scenes for like the connection between dinosaurs and them. Like I, the baby scene, I didn't. I really think that's true. Be- that. the- oh, when they see the baby of a lot, yeah. What I about think- the raptors in the kitchen? I mean, that's just that's straight up horror. Yeah, no, that, that is yeah, a that's horror fucking move. I think same with the oh. dinosaur that where it's like yeah, frill just curls up. It's like yeah. <laughs> it's funny like. Yeah, like Steven Spielberg wanted obviously all the dinosaurs to be realistic. You know, he, we were talking about sounds. He's like, I don't want, you know, a Godzilla sounding, you know, dinosaur or anything like that. But the one dinosaur where he's like, yeah, you could go a little nuts with was the Dilophosaurus. It's like, I don't know, that one did kind of, kind of stick out. But <laughs> I think it was the most effective, though, of being scary to me. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a tiny thing. What could it do? Yeah. Well, I just love. <laughs> I mean that I think that was my the best part about Wayne Knight in that movie is like here do you want the stick you want the yeah, stick that's just freaking the that's just stick that's just stick got stupid. nothing on me yeah that and scene also had the weirdest audio editing decision of the yes, entire it did. movie like a cartoony sound effect yeah. the cartoony sound effect when <laughs> I he love slipped it. there's nothing like that in the whole <laughs> rest of the film this one moment like in a, a Tense, horror I can't believe situation. they got away with that. It's like it had to be someone in the editing room, like, "Oh, just do this as a goof." Like, fat guy falls down the cliff. No one's gonna keep that in the movie. They kept it. They did. It was so out of place. I actually, I rewound because I wasn't sure I heard it correctly. I, I made, it, I made Casey pause the movie, it. it's, it's rewound very, it's it so beautiful. I could rehear it. It's very likely that was just another noise that came out of Wayne Knight <laughs> in the movie. Um, yeah, his. Turns out, uh, it's the Dilophosaurus. Is that what you said, Wally? Yep. Dilophos- so they they're actually silent in this movie. That that was an aesthetic choice, and all of the noises you hear in the the car were all also Wayne Knight just screaming and then the hissing, and that's all just noises he makes. He he's he's a human yeah, he cushion. Is this one of your bits, Quinn, or a cinema fact? This is a cinema fact. No, yeah, all like. Right. When there weren't CG dinosaurs around, Steven Spielberg was like, hey, Wayne Knight, get over here. We need you to yell into this microphone. So yeah. not to be super mean, but based on the weird noises he makes and his general uh, shape, does that make Wayne Knight the walrus of the acting world? At one point, he was. Yeah. Do you guys remember when he was in, what was it, Cheaper by the Dozen? Or was it Daddy Daycare where he slimmed down like crazy? I think it was Cheaper by the Dozen. Uh, he gets stuck on it. Sorry, this is a weird tangent to go off of. But, like, he, he very soon after this movie, lost a significant amount of weight, um, which is, is kind yeah, of wild. Yeah, if I was going to meet Steve Martin, I'd do the same thing. <laughs> and Unless Grant, we, no. Was this the original Cheaper by the Dozen and not the remake? Yes. <laughs> wait, no. wait, wait, wait. No, it, it is a remake with Steve Martin. Yes. Okay. Um. And Grant, yeah, that was a, a, a bold-faced lie that he made yeah, all the sound of it. Oh, I got so excited. I was I was real happy. Steven to... Spielberg did do the sound on set, though, where they were like, Steven, this isn't working for us. We need some sort of thing. And he made some of the dinosaur sounds. 
Well, and I I thought of this movie so much more like Westworld in hindsight when I was a mm. child. Like there's the scene where um they oh what they're doing the like reboot and then they hear the thunder, like the noise of the lightning and the thunder because the storm's coming and it's just like referencing that the storm is getting there. I thought when they pressed that button it triggered the lightning. I'm like, oh shit, why oh, would they trigger the lightning at this moment? Yeah. It was just like boop, okay, we're doing it. I'm like, oh shit. Um but yeah, I just also they really needed Dean Pelton um to to navigate or to let's say hack the system in quotations to uh get everything back online. Uh it, but it's a Unix system. A Unix system. And Lex knows Unix systems. He's a See, fucking nerd. I can't believe you guys didn't have the 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 reaction of saying yes. We need a deep Dean Pelton in his like VR thing climbing, and no, you guys aren't Dean getting Pelton. the community, community reference. Oh yeah, but <laughs> he's in his VR. Okay, it took me. Yeah, that's that one of the been shitty wonderful. later seasons of Community. That, that seems pretty funny. I, I don't yeah, think, I don't think any of the seasons of Community. I don't think Dean Pelton's part was ever weak. No, I think him no standing way. in like this stupid little like Omni movement thing with these big old gloves and a giant headset, screaming, "I am a god! I am a god!" as he jumps feebly to get a file off of a shelf in yeah, a virtual a world. Episode that introduced Keith David. That's yes. a great episode. Yes, it is. It is a great episode. You're absolutely right, Walter. You know, I used to always forget that uh, Samuel Jackson's in this movie. Another, you know, connection point to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hold on to your butts. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm just pulling from another Before podcast was, that recently yeah, talked about Jurassic Park as well. But oh, it is, no. it is. Yeah, I know. We kind of got fucked mm-hmm. on that. Um, it is surprising how different he is because this is like just before Pulp Fiction. Yes, this um, is, I think is like a year or two before yeah, Pulp Fiction. It is just, it is utterly absurd how different this man is from actual Samuel Jackson yeah, that we all know and love. Actor. The only yeah. like hint of that is the hold on to your butts line, and he says that like he's so bored. I'm like, I want to go the fuck home. Yeah, he says that <laughs> as a disgruntled employee with a cigarette hanging out of his on mouth. Butts. Um. Hold on to your butts. It's like <laughs> nobody would ever. And he says it twice. They knew it was a great. Yeah, line. that yeah. line is on so much merchandise. Please. That's another thing too. Is just all the little quotes in this movie said by like secondary characters, like "clever girl." I have a pair of fucking socks that say that. <laughs> yeah, but the I mean the primary cast. Uh, frankly, Ariana Richards and Joseph Mazzello playing Lex and Tim. Um, I don't know how. Steven Spielberg gets such good, um, such good reactions out of child actors. He's probably the He's strongest kid, child actor director, um, just out there. I mean, I I constantly look at the kid roles as the weakest ones in movies, usually because the line deliveries are weird, the the timing's just off. But there was there was no hesitation. There was no weird looks directly into the camera. I mean, no, yeah, they both of them did an excellent job. Like there was there was awkwardness, but it like it felt so realistic as like kid awkwardness. Like just 
Tim standing there with a big grin on his face, yeah. holding like, Dr. Oh, Grant's book and like yeah. kind of tilting his head in this somewhat creepy way. It's just like, that's just what kids do. Like, yes, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. I think, yeah, these, the kids, like if, if the kids were cast differently, it would have just been a yeah, horrible movie. Changed the yeah, movie I think Ariana Richards was low-key the MVP of this movie. Her, With that screaming, her, man. Yeah, yep. her screaming. Get the door that, shut. That was the scariest fucking sequence. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was really clever, too. It's like, oh, she's, yeah. Yeah, the other one smart kids, yeah. Stuff like that, yeah. The other one that really took me was when they were eating the desserts in the room, mm-hmm. and she sees mm-hmm. the Velociraptor for the first time. Because facial acting is difficult difficult for adults, getting the right yes. expression on your face. Jiggling and her the jello shaking like that. Yeah, her oh look of horror while the jello shook was so raw and real. I was, was I was like not believing. Like I, it's like your your brain can't believe that this is happening. It's yeah. And was that a, that was a slow zoom in too, right? We talked about the quick zoom ins. I think that was a slow zoom in. It's like. Well, you know, that's where a zoom in can be effective. I thought it was just a straight shot, and it was just you saw her hand in the foreground shaking. I think. Maybe there was a zoom in. Yeah, she picks up the jello, and then it slowly zooms in as she's, like, realizing what's walking into the room. I don't remember. I I seem to recall it the way Quinn said, where I thought it was just a straight shot, but um, I I could see it it both ways. Yeah, I mean, either way, whatever it did, it, it worked really well, and it, yeah, it highlighted that. Um, yeah, I just like the, it's so weird because the kids, it's like part of that is like that sort of like innocent thing, like hearing Tim in the middle of a car that's like hanging, hanging. I threw up. (laughs) Yeah, that's like a kid walking into their parents' room at night where it's like, mom, I I threw up. And it's like, (laughs) you don't understand the gravity of the situation at all, which is such a kid thing to do. And then, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, I, there, yeah, I. There was a uh, continuity issue with that scene, though, like the T Rex getting out of this cage, but somehow they have to, yes. you know, walk down. It's so effective. You don't care while the movie's happening, but. <laughs> I, wait, I've seen this that? movie a dozen times. I couldn't even pick out the moment you're talking about. What do you? What do you mean? The when they so when they have to um how. Like repel down the other side of the enclosure, where then they go in the enclosure. It you know it it goes down. Like there's a certain oh. elevation, but somehow the T Rex yeah. was able to just walk over. Well, like the elevation doesn't really make. Yeah, sense. it was like the original like landscape for that was it was at the was base flat. of a cliff, or not a cliff. Sorry, the base of a, a very tall hill slash small mountain, and the goat was right there on a level plane. Um, yeah, but when they're going over, but, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, I think there was, it's it, yeah, I I I was always a little confused by that, but um, now on the subject of the T Rex, I gotta say the whole concept of only being able to see vi- moving things <laughs> is one of the dumbest movie conceits. <laughs> yeah, like, it are really trees is. invisible to it? Can it not see like lakes or? Are, t-rexes constantly drowning themselves through just this invisible <laughs> non-moving so world dumb. that they can't There's see a reason they're extinct. <laughs> I, think, I think it's 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 related more to their predator instinct like it I, knows it's not it's going like, to yeah, attack a tree but yeah, yeah they definitely true. didn't they could have just said their their um fight or flight instinct or whatever it is, their um 
their predatory yeah. instinct is based off of movement. It I think yeah, that fact instincts. was already like proven wrong by the time this movie came out. Well, of course. Like, well, that's been discredited. <laughs> How dare you, sir? But uh, no, I yeah, I. And the T Rex being all ninja at the end, you know, somehow getting. Why does it think to go in that building? There's like a section of that building cut out so you can sneak in there. Oh, Love it. The, the when the dinosaurs ruled the earth banner that falls I loved it. as you know, it's doing okay, its that, big roar. That was the big cheesy moment, but that I was, still love it. Uh, <laughs> so, cheesy so is the right the word. Banner, the banner. It is beautiful be, cheese, Grant. Can't be held up um, after or getting impacted by a roar. But these uh these hanging bones that are pretty like precariously hung to the ceiling can support like four different human beings. Um well, one of them breaks and then yeah, the T Rex has to throw the raptor into the other one. Ah uh, yes, so he has to. He has to. It's a yeah. fucking cool kill. You know, the they like did that last minute. Like at one point Steven Spielberg was like, People are gonna be pissed if they don't see the T Rex at the end. Originally, they were going to have Hammond come in and shoot the raptors, which I think would have been very effective for his character arc in the whole movie. Like, my latest watch, like, I really liked that character the most upon this. And I think, like, having to kill the dinosaurs that he's protecting the whole fucking movie. There's so many times where they're like, well, we could put this slicing contingency in plan where we just kill off the dinosaurs. And he's like, no, we're not doing that. And to have him at the end come in and actually shoot these things, I think would have been a more impactful ending for the movie, but it wouldn't have been the ending, you know, we all know and love, so. But isn't the Lycian thing already implemented? Didn't they say that they created the dinosaurs to need this certain protein or whatever, so they constantly feed, like... Yeah, I am kind of confused about that, like, when they leave the island or whatever, like, if they're not given that, they they yeah, the dinosaurs should just die. Yeah. That's what I but, was... But, uh, life, um, uh, finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> that was real what? good, Wally. That was real good. But, yeah, yeah, excellent movie. Fantastic fucking movie. We could keep going on about this movie. I'm down. Auto-erotic? <laughs> <I don't... laughs> yeah, when the... Oh, I love the dumbass lawyer. Yeah, doesn't I, know what the term animatronic is. He's like, yes, or autoerotic. No, scientist. no, he does. No, he. Sorry, <laughs> Wally, you have a misconception. He absolutely knows what auto animatronic means. But <laughs> he said he, they're auto. <laughs> what animatronic? That it's called autoerotica. No, no, no. He is looking. He is looking ten steps. He's like, you've you've perfected animatronic technology. Can that be used in an autoerotic way? Can we make fuck robots? Is, yeah, is, I mean, he, could could that very well be a uh, a little hint or that's like a side project? Yeah, Steven Spielberg could make island. some fuck robots. But, that but dude knows what's up. Maybe that's a maybe that's a callback oh. to Westworld. There you, know? you go. Maybe it's like you want to fuck a robot? Go to Westworld. Um, oh, that'd be kind of cool. The world of Westworld and Jurassic Park. It's I was thinking that too. Oh. As soon as you said that, it's written <laughs> by the same guy. Like the new Westworld TV show is really good. How cool would it be if they just had like a Jurassic Park simulator? <laughs> um, Thanks for clarifying, Walty. Wal Wal Walty? Like Walter. Walter. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying, Walter, because uh when you said that's cool, you the clause you were following up was uh fucking robots. So I, I uh 
yeah, fucking robots is cool. Yeah, Walter Trush approves. It would be all that metal yes. would be cold. Oh God, Grant, I've got I've got hey. to introduce you to something. It's it's called a flashlight. <laughs> it's not a robot, Quinn. That's no, not a robot. But it can be covered. It can, it, it can, it be, can be covered in robot. Like, yes, a robot can can be covered in a flashlight. Okay. Yeah, don't um, think so small, Grant. Come on. <laughs> how the fuck did Hammond get into the trailer so quickly after that helicopter touchdown at the Yeah, beginning? dude. Dude was sprinting. Mm-hmm. Like, oh fuck, gotta get my <laughs> gotta find the find the champagne. Um yeah, I'm just throwing out all of my, my quips and stuff. Um yeah. Good. Uh that, give that, us that, more quips, Quinn. Let's have that, quips. And that child grew up to be Rosie O'Donnell. Um I don't know if that's uh oh. i don't know if that's too blue. He, i guess that's not people that, say that uh that kid grows up to be the chris pratt character in jurassic world well i don't I, fucking see it see the the main reason and i i thought this from the beginning he looks like the the um what is his name turk the oh monkey God, he looks that, like a monkey or the, the gorilla that rosie o'donnell voices in tarzan mm-hmm. That Which kid, kid are, are you talking about? The kid the who looks like he could be gutted. thirteen. The kid who gets like assaulted by yes, <laughs> absolutely gutted. Cuts they, here and here, and then you're it, bleeding out. <laughs> it's funny that you mention it because my first note on the movie is, "Man, that kid is the epitome of thirteen or 30. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they should have made that movie about him. No, not thirteen going on thirty. Like the kid no, looks like he could no, have been but you played used by a thirteen or thirty, and I wanted to uh, mm-hmm. a riff. It's called a riff. Um, could have been the yeah prequel. Should, shouldn't the lawyer have said if I'm not convinced, they're not convinced, instead of saying if they're not convinced, I'm not convinced? Because that doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, Dear God, yeah, he's that reading would make... from a book. It's like a Seinfeld skit I, about I, Jurassic I, Park. I am reading from a What about the airline scene? Um I have a lot of stuff that I doesn't fucking make sense. Um <laughs> I'm waiting Jeff Goldblum quits do we get accent that the DNA guy is doing. Like what even oh, is that? Kids um, love it, maybe. <laughs> kids kids love it, maybe. Um What about Sam Neill's accent? You know, a New Zealander trying to have an American accent. I feel like we're we're getting a behind the scenes view of Quinn's uh, open mic night stand-up yes, bits. There we go. Does Got Wayne Knight make that Park hissing book. noise? Question <laughs> Maybe. Does um, is Bruno Mars is gay? See. Oh. Do you guys think the main characters are dating? It's implied, but not super explicit. I, are you guys talking about Hammond and Malcolm, or yes, which main characters? Exactly yes, the chaotic the main characters the villain, of this yeah. movie. They're fucking, dude. Yeah, the main character <laughs> of this movie. Um, no. Yeah, that was um, always weird. I always just, as a kid, assumed, but like in the movie, they're like, they're not really talking about it. They're like, well, gotta be professional or some shit. I don't know. It. I don't know like at the at the beginning when they're in the trailer and stuff like that like they're very they're very it seems like they're very much in a relationship and then it just goes nowhere and i know in the book like they're so like she's not she's just a like lab student and she's more of a you're like a an assistant and yeah i think she's um, younger in the 
yeah and like she's her his student and there's Mm -hmm. there's more of like a father-daughter and he loves kids in the book yes they change that character quite a bit well okay Uh, yeah because the way you guys set those two parts up makes it sound really fucking creepy so i'm glad they made the changes that they did he loves kids he loves i mean john hammond is the asshole in the book as you know he should be they (laughs) you know I don't know any other actor. They chose a guy who would play what Santa a couple years after this movie. You know, gotta love this guy. Yeah, he could have. He should be the villain of the movie, but you still love him. You know. Well, and Malcolm breaks his leg, gets addicted to heroin, starts spouting off theological nonsense, and dies in the book too. Yeah, it's, and it's really think, fucking crazy. I think that's that's the one thing we haven't talked about is just the sheer sexual and just wacky magnetism that Jeff Goldblum has mm-hmm. that basically cements him in this franchise up and like just forever. I I we want to see him shirtless again in that uh in the new one coming out. Yeah. I mean, I 67 a... year old Jeff Goldblum. You still got it. <laughs> is that a Jeff Goldblum pillow? That was <laughs> a white is. elephant gift. It's the most phenomenal white elephant get- gift you can you can ever receive. Um, you gotta is... put that as the thumbnail for it this is episode. So pi- it is so pixelated. It is so um, not good quality. <laughs> but it is. I mean, it. <laughs> yes. Oh no! It's upside down. But it is it is one of my prized possessions. It's like I will Jesus. Not... Look at the glow coming off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love Christ visual right gags there. on my podcast. Those always land really good. Look at this pillow. <laughs> We're not I'm not posting any of this content anywhere, so um you will never see my pillow. You'll have to get your own. It's a body pillow of Jeff Goldblum, by the way. It it is a uh a <laughs> waifu, a very, very small a, body. A waifu Jeff uh I Jeff. Uh, I'm totally blanking for some reason. I just thought Jeff Foxworthy. Um, oh. no, uh, it is a it is a waifu Jeff Goldblum body pillow. There oh. you go. Just a whole series of waifu Jeff body pillows. Jeff Foxworthy, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Let's see the what other. Jeff. My name is Guy. What other My famous Jeffs Jeff. can we do? Um, Off to Google. Check out famous Jeffs. Jeffrey Chaucer. Jeff Bezos. Bridges Bezos. Um, <laughs> Goldblum, Jeff Hardy, the wrestler. Oh yeah, let's oh, definitely Je- put him. He's he's number one. Jeffrey Dahmer. There we go. You know, I there's a lot of people. J.J. Abrams. He was also yeah. a Jeff. Jeff. I Jeff did not Abrams. know that. Jonah yeah, Jeff. Jeff Abrams, the well-known Jeff. Jeff Abrams. Yeah, there's a reason why he goes by J.J. Jeff. Jeff. All right, I think we found our next million dollar idea, guys. Waifu so, Jeff body pillows. So, um, I think I think we we have Jeff discussed Dunham. this quite a long, quite a long time. Uh, I think I will pose this question to the group: What should advance? No question, Jurassic Park all the fucking way. It's gonna be number one. Hold <laughs> it now. I would I would love to say Iron Man, but uh, I felt Jurassic Park was just. The, the stronger film throughout um if it had just been visual effects if it had been from memory i would have said i loved iron man more um but i was truly really impressed your memory is wrong i was impressed by jurassic park script um the special effects still held up the cast was incredibly charming and the chemistry between everyone was was great it was a just 
a all-around stronger film. Um, Iron Man, while it you know was the the movie that launched the most successful cinema franchise of all time, while it had uh, also a a strong cast with impressive special effects. Uh, like Wally said, it suffered from a weaker third act. Um, that uh, I think you know, if I look at the two films holistically, it's it's not really a question to me. Jurassic Park's the better film. Uh, yeah, right. I yeah, I I was kind of just thinking about like, okay, well, which is a more successful franchise? Um, <laughs> and, well, and and that is a, that's where, a very funny question to ask. Did, does Jurassic Park like did Jurassic Park need to be a franchise? And no. It, is it no. is that the like poster child for why why one-off movies can sometimes have significantly more impact than franchises um i think um i think it's hard this is a hard one simply because i i don't think iron man is even the strongest um marvel movie which is like okay well then if if one of the stronger Marvel movies got put up against Jurassic Park. How would it do? Um, I think Jurassic Park is is critically acclaimed and you know much beloved, but uh, as Grant said, there are there are some issues just with with you know visuals and stuff like that. But wrong. I okay, Wally. Dinosaurs <laughs> don't look like that. That's true. I mean, it's it's science fiction, but it, it still looks pretty fucking good compared to like any other dinosaur movie like try to think of a you know an, another dinosaur movie after this that looks this good there isn't one <laughs> um what <laughs> have you not watched the the miniseries dinotopia oh i love that uh, that's right <laughs> did that you is watch pretty good dinotopia name. i did when that lands before fucking that was time. that was before it yeah, this was that was before no one was animated. No, no he's one likes specifically animated talking about for babies. He was specifically talking about Land Before Time four, where they go across the oh, land bridge the and big, meet big the big water. Yeah, the big big oh, water man. and meet um. Oh, what is the dude? Uh, You're right. I should have put that Chomper. movie on this list. They meet Chopper. Um, the best movie of this matchup, <laughs> Land Before Time four. <laughs> um, big no, but uh, you know, after all that, I will hug my uh. Jeff Goldblum waifu pillow with pride and yeah, Jurassic Park Jeff will move Um Yeah, I'm sorry, John Favreau. I did my best. And so that means Monsters Inc. goes up against No, that's not right, is it? Is that how that works? What's the movie? What so we did a Night's Tale versus Ten Commandments. What came after that? Um nineteen seventeen and the host. That's right. Okay. So so yes, it will be Monsters Inc. versus Jurassic Park. Um for our, that's our next episode. When we that's get not our next episode. Our deep next in the episode bracket. will be uh our next episode will be the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers versus um oh is it see that's what I thought it was, but I think it's real steel. I know it's real steel. Because the one after that, I think, is Lord of the Rings and Kung Fu Panda. A professional podcast would know what the fuck it was doing. I looked it up, and now, of course, okay, here it is. Wait, no. Why is my file for the... Oh, it's just a different color. This is great radio. It's it's great radio, guys. This is why you come here. Real Um, Steel versus Indiana Jones and the Last Cruise. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, and I and know, all my coughs. I'm so okay. sorry, people. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh my goodness, I thought that got flipped Fuck! around right at but the end. I am so excited to see Real Steel. Never saw it. Thought I it was going to be dumb. I am definitely not, but I do have a question for you. Would you guys rate The Last Crusade as the best Indiana Jones film? I've never seen the second one, so I can't definitively say. Yeah. <laughs> um, Temple of Doom is definitely the weakest of them all. Um, Even weaker than Crystal Plot Skull. Twist aliens? Crystal Skull is trashed here. Fuck, fuck you guys and assume you're that, right? thinking that Crystal it's Skull should even be a part of that series. Um, It is a <laughs> trilogy. You will never convince me otherwise. How dare you? Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I've only ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, so this will be my first yeah, viewing of the Last I've, Crusade. I think I've seen what the Lost Crusade? Crusade. What this one has Sean Connery in it. Sean Connery. Sean Bean. Yes. <laughs> this, okay, I am so excited to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Grant, if you do have time, I know we're recording these a little bit quicker, so you might not be able, to, you might not have as much time to watch all these movies because you were a you were an adult and you have adult responsibilities. But um, if you have time and you want to, definitely, definitely watch um, yeah, the yeah, uh, <laughs> um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and um, because you, you real steal is your pick, so I, 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 you'll probably rewatch it again, but see if you can watch both of them because I'm even like torn between the two. Like I, mm. the reason I liked Last Crusade is, you know, it, there is the Sean Connery. Um, there is the Sean Bean. It's it is. I love it Sean? so much. Like, but wait, is Sean Bean you, in one of those movies? Isn't Sean Bean like the the? I thought he was like a. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. It's Hugh like, Jackman. Did you say? How do you mix <laughs> I, up Sean Bean though? He's a pretty specific. Person. <laughs> I thought he I was, was like, oh, I, he was the the big bad. <laughs> but no, that's something. Sean Bean is the big bad. Fuck yeah! I hope that's the case. In real steel, yeah. I fucking no, know. not real. Oh, that would be <laughs> that awesome. Would be so good. Um, but um, yeah, I totally blank. Um, but yeah, watch it. I I mean, the Sean Connery and Harrison Ford dynamic is is just lovely, and there's a big dirigible. Um, is there a chance oh, that that gets pivoted in as the stronger film? Like, are are we saying that there may be a surprise next week that it might be a different Indiana Jones movie up on the the docket? I'll have to rewatch them both, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think you did say that you're like, oh, I'm not sure which one to put on there. That was no, uh, you said that with yeah, Quentin. Yeah, I said that with a Quentin Tarantino movie, and that did get changed. Um, but no, I I think it's still going to be. Um, we have to watch all four Indiana Jones movies now, and I did say four. Shut. You know what, Wally? <laughs> I'm I'm kicking you off of this. Um. So yeah, that's the boat podcast. Follow us on Instagram Ooh. and Facebook. Uh, Wally, I'm gonna air this on air because I want you to have actual repercussions if you fail this you said you were going to be uh updating the facebook page that has all oh, the responsibility <laughs> <laughs> we uh we have not done that but the facebook page is the only place that um well partly simply because i couldn't fit the actual bracket because of its design onto an mm. instagram post um the facebook page is the premier place to actually see what movies we are reviewing what we're gonna do um Yes, and what we are going to be watching. So please uh, follow us on there. Um, follow us on Instagram because I do these stupid little edits. 
um, I was hoping to try and take, you know, some pictures and maybe some recordings of, of this record, but that will probably be up next time just because I'm currently sitting in pitch black darkness um, because I live in a basement because I'm a hobbit. Um, but yeah, that's us. We're the Boatcast. Um, Cup the balls and slurp the gravy. Cast off.